Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim Ben. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome back to the Right Spokane Perspective. We're here again today on Valentine's Day. Yes, it's Valentine's Day, and the Washington legislature loves your tax dollars and uses the children, of course, to get them. But we have some inspiration on this Valentine's Day from Shannon, and it'll be lovely inspiration. We're going to talk about giving out of love. Every day, Glenn purchases his morning coffee at a nearby drive-thru, and every day he also pays for the order of the person in the car behind him, asking the cashier to wish the person a good day. Glenn has no connection to them. He's not aware of their reactions. He simply believes this small gesture is at the least he can do. On one occasion, however, he learned of the impact of his actions when he read an anonymous letter to the editor in his local newspaper. He discovered that the kindness of his gift on July 18, 2017, caused the person in the car behind him to reconsider their plans to take their own life later that day. Glenn gives daily to the people in the car behind him without receiving credit for it. Only on this single occasion did he get a glimpse of the impact of his small gift. When Jesus says we should not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, He's urging us to give, as Glenn does, without need for recognition. When we give out of our love for God, without concern for receiving the praise of others, we can trust that our gifts, large or small, will be used by Him to help meet the needs of those receiving them. Father, thank You for using us to meet the needs of others and for meeting our needs through them. Help us not to seek credit, but to give, and to do so in a way that gives you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we need to be giving to others. Unfortunately, right now, it's hard to be giving to others since the government is taking so much these days. It used to be up to the church. In history, education and charity was done by religious institutions. And we have the the state that has stepped in the last century to basically take away all of those. Responsibilities? Yeah, responsibilities. So since the state has decided it is the new God, it has to care for us in every single way, shape, and form. And that includes our children. We're seeing more and more where the government has stepped in to be the dad and help pay the bills, where they've replaced the father. And oftentimes they're they're kind of replacing the mother too because they're pushing them into industry saying, well, we don't need mothers. We need the women in the workforce. And of course, for the state, that looks good because it collect tax dollars and it's less children that need education. Even though we've got plenty of money for education, we'll talk about that a little bit today because the legislature is spending record amounts on education. It's amazing growth. So today... We have to talk about Senate Bill 5054, which would reduce classroom learning time by four hours a week. Now, folks, we noticed in the past, we've seen late starts, early releases. Of course, you have now 12 federal holidays that all your educators get off. There's spring break, summer break, Christmas. Oh, excuse me, winter break. Christmas break. Christmas break, yes. So we have all those times where the children cannot be in school. Oh, and I, I forgot curriculum day. And then there's teacher organizing day. The teachers go in and clean classrooms. So we see less and less academics 
in education. And the proposed bill to cut instruction hours comes as schools are receiving record levels of funding. We're talking in Washington state, $18.8 billion for funding. With that funding, one of the things that we've seen is a massive increase in per student spending. We're talking about a change that's been dramatic. And of course, we've had inflation, but the one thing that's inflated more than anything, even prior to the pandemic and COVID, was education spending. And of course, we saw that in in higher ed too. We saw higher ed become more and more expensive, where people are ending up six figures in debt, 50,000, 100,000, and more in debt to get their higher education. And we've kind of decided that that's just going to be the norm. And in public education, K-12 education, we went from spending back in 2010, $9,800 per student to now in 2022, it's $18,700 per student, which is a doubling of education spending from 2010 to 2022. Obviously in that trend line, in 2016, it was $12,000 per student. So it's increasing at a higher rate, even though student outcomes are not as good. And I know teacher salaries, and Shannon, I know that you're in education and teaching. You've worked with young children for many years. On the chart you have, it talks about salaries for teachers. I know that we want to pay our teachers well, but a lot of folks, even though they might love their children's teacher or my mother was a teacher, my grandmother was a teacher, you love the teachers, but you're starting to look at the cost of the education of your children and you're looking at the the growth in salaries. And I know that it's not just teachers, administrations have exploded in their cost in education. What about the teacher salaries? How are they looking, Shannon? 2015 to 2016, we see about 92,000. Jump into 2018 to 2019, about 113,000. All the way 2021 to 2022 looks like 126,000. So we're looking at a a $30,000 or $30 plus thousand dollar increase per teacher spending in the state of Washington per year? About that. So that's, that's a huge spend, especially when... We know that they just added Juneteenth. We have another federal holiday, so there's like 12 federal holidays that the children won't be in school. When we look at the per-student funding, that's part of the cost. It's not just the administration, and and this is just the this isn't the school buildings. This is just the labor, like what you would see on a levy. The school buildings are bonded and in separate spending. Oftentimes, sometimes some of this money can go to facilities, but most of this is just the cost of administering education to the students. So what we see with employees in education is that the total teacher number went from fifty three thousand in 2010 to 2022, it went to 63,000. So you have 10,000 more teachers, less instruction hours, less days of school total, but we're spending a lot more per teacher. And the total employees in the education system outside of just the teachers, we're looking at a growth of 20,000 more other school staff when you're talking administrators, janitors, support staff. So we see a huge growth in the numbers of people in education, a huge growth in the cost of their labor and their salaries and benefits, but we're not seeing increased outcomes for the children. In fact, on one of the the sheets you have over there, it talks about children's outcomes and their educational uh, success rates. So again, we wanted to fund more teachers. Of course, they needed more support staff, 
but we're looking at 52% of public school employees are classroom teachers. So that leaves 48% of the employees are administrative or or otherwise employed by public schools uh, systems overall in the school districts. But the outcomes for children, we're looking even nationally, they're not looking positive, especially with the amount of money we're now spending. The amount of money we're now spending billions of dollars. Well, it's 18 almost $19 billion in Washington state at a cost of $18,000 per student. We're spending more, I think, than almost any state in the country, if not the most. And according to um, another article, U.S. public school students are lagging behind. Nearly half of all the public school students in the U.S. that entered the 2022-2023 academic year are lagging behind benchmarks, according to the new Department of Education report. The National Center for Education Statistics School Purse Panel report published Thursday shows 49% of students are performing below grade level in at least one academic subject, up from the national average of 36 of a t- of a typical pre-pandemic year. This that, that's survey- interesting. Now, that's a national survey in Washington state on the 2022 Smarter Balance state tests, public schools failed to educate 62% of students adequately in math and failed to educate 49% of students adequately in reading. So we're looking at almost a 50% failure rate on average from subject to subject here in the state of Washington, where we're spending more than any other state, I think even more than California now. On education. On education. So that's a massive spin and a massive chunk of what our taxes are going to. And to see the doubling of spending from 9.8 billion to 18 point, almost 8 billion in Washington state over the last 12 years, I think our kids are in big trouble, but the state legislature loves our tax dollars through our children so much that they no longer want to hear our voice when it comes to taxes. Obviously, that's something at the local level. They want to increase taxes. There was the educational issue that came about over a decade ago, the McCleary decision that said that the state was not fully funding education and the local school districts were being too heavily taxed across the state. There was a huge disparity in in how much we were paying in property taxes from school district to school district. Well, now we've gone back in the last five years to we're, we're spending more in certain school districts than others, but the statewide spend is massive. We just keep throwing money at this. We'll see if the legislature passes it. I think we should be telling the governor and the legislature, look, you don't need to reduce four hours per week of instruction. If, if you're going to reduce four hours a week of instruction. Taxpayers should see a reduce in the amount of taxes that they're paying. School officials are provided at least 1,080 hours of classroom learning time in grades 9 through 12. And the school officials are to provide, this is according to state law, and it's in current RCW 28A. It requires that each of the Washington's 295 school districts provide these school hours. So again, it's 1,080 hours for 9th through 12th grade and 1,000 hours of instruction time for students grades 1 through 8 and then 450 hours of classroom time for kindergarten. And they're looking at reducing those. So most school districts fulfill these requirements by providing six hours of instruction 
every weekday. But we know that there's the late start and the early start thing. And so they're actually not even fulfilling that at this point, as far as I can tell. But they want to reduce it four hours more per week. So we're looking at a school week that's going to be shortened, not just by release and, and late start and all of these holidays. And then they're going to bring four hours back from from the education requirements per week, what are we paying all these people for? I mean, you have all of this staff that get paid throughout the entire year when they basically are working the equivalent of a part-time job if you look at the whole entire year. Well, and I'm wondering if if the sponsors on that bill actually took a look at what the, the U.S. Department of Education was looking at because in that other article that we were we were talking about, it actually talks about how the U.S. Department of Education is going to be looking at how to support learning recovery. So just so you know, if the education budget does go up again this next year and even into next legislative session, the focus is going to be coming into, it's called learning recovery. It's not remedial classes. It's going to be learning recovery. And it's going to be because COVID has kept our children back. But we already know that. Parents already know that. Educators already know that. And some teachers are already putting in extra hours coming in early to try to work with students that they know are behind because teachers don't want students to fail. Well, they don't want them to fail. And because of the no child left behind, they're going to get pushed into the next grade when they're, whether they're ready or not. We already are, are having people graduate high school that are barely literate, literally cannot read. And they're going into our higher education system, if mostly like community colleges and trade schools, where they're doing remedial classes for one to two years as adults. So we're delaying their ability to pay taxes. I would think the legislature would pay attention to that, but their ability to support their families and to be productive productive adults. What we're seeing is because of this declining performance by the public school systems in Washington state, 46,000 families have withdrawn their children and they sought learning alternatives elsewhere. But there's a lot of people that cannot afford, especially in a time where the government has messed up our financial systems and we have massive inflation, lots of different costs of living increased on these working families. How many people actually have enough money to send them as well to private schools and the private schools are trying to crunch their numbers. They can make it affordable. So 46,000 families have withdrawn their children from Washington schools. But we haven't seen a tax decrease for the amount of kids that have left the schools. No, of course we haven't. And in fact, we've seen a, a massive increase in taxes and massive increase in the state budget for education. So now we have to go back and start thinking about this and, and we should talk to our legislators. We need to contact the governor's office and say, look, where is the tax rebates for the families that are paying for education outside of public schools? Where is the tax relief for the citizens? Remember last year when Reichdell, he's the head of OSPI, Office of Public Instruction, he said, oh, no, no, no. And I think it was the year before even they said, oh, no, no, we're going to go ahead and give state monies to the public schools regardless of enrollment, we're going to go to pre-COVID, even though we've had tens of thousands of families bail on these failing public schools, we're going to go ahead and spend the same amount in these public schools. So the cost of education of these children, and, and of course, the quality of education is also not good. It's time to contact our legislators because you know what? We're not feeling that happy Valentine's Day card with the state loving our tax dollars and our children because they're loving us into poverty, paying for subpar education. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. 
We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective Radio Show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the Right Spokane Perspective, and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future. Listeners, it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts, commentary, and alerts on what's happening in local government, politics, and issues affecting us all. Please send your most generous support to Right Spokane Perspective, LLC, PO Box 7620, Spokane, Wa992. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back from the break. I guess we spent the break trying to feel the love on this Valentine's Day. I want to I want to kind of circle back, if you will, to part of that conversation, because we talked about how college students, they were going into the two-year colleges, community colleges, or even into the four-year universities, and needing to do some of those remedial classes. A lot of those students, some of those students, are paying for those classes on their own. So not only is it affecting taxpayers, is it affecting K through 12 students money wise, but it's also affecting young adults when they have to take out more loans to take those remedial classes because they weren't able to get that education before they left K-12. Well, it also takes them out of the workforce either completely or it limits the amount of hours they can work. And so for a lot of these uh, young adults, Many of them in community colleges are already raising families. They're already out there. They graduated from high school, took a couple years off. They realized they needed more skills, more marketable skills so that they could get better jobs or so they could get that promotion where they're working. So they go back to higher education in one form or another, some kind of training program. And they find that when they try to test into these curriculums or or courses, they're not adequately educated to even do basic 98 classes even. So they're starting in the in the 80s instead of the college 101, right? And so they spend all that time trying to catch up where the public schools failed. Now, these are the students that we're talking about that have been doing this for a number of years. It's going to be even worse with these other students that missed several years, especially those at the end of their high school years over the COVID pandemic where they masked everybody and it was remote education. We saw a lot of students where they were, especially in the elementary levels, they literally would log on to their computer at the start of the, the school day. They would be on their computer with their teacher for an hour to two hours at the most, which is appropriate because we were always told don't have too much screen two time. Two hours of screen time a day. They had two hours of instructional time and then sometimes little to no homework. And the parents are like, what are we paying for these schools to do? So all these children are behind. Now what you had talked about in the first half, now the federal government wants to kick in and spend a bunch of money in what they call recovery. Learning recovery. Learning recovery. I wonder how much that's going to cost us over the short term. How much money are they going to inject into the state systems that will then in turn put that money into the local systems? And of course, I want to love the children too. But we can't love them to death with a waste of money and all these programs and keep switching things up. Basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. And of course, we're living in a time where you've got school districts all over the country that are dedicated to teach many things that are outside of basic math and reading and science. They're, they want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They Social, wanna, emotional learning. Yeah, social, emotional learning, which is... Basically, the way we're going to see these children not be able to succeed when they get out of whatever educational institutions they're in. 
which is why, of course, so many people are abandoning those systems and finding alternative education for their children, whether it's homeschooling, private schooling, the school co-ops. There's a bunch of those that have uh, spurred up since COVID. It's nice, though, because parents are waking up. And I think our culture, people are waking up. And so we're going to see, I think, somewhat of a renaissance of civil society deciding that we need more power to make our own decisions. We need to send our own Valentine's Day gifts to those that we love and quit letting government overspend and overtax its citizenry. Because another thing that the legislature has going on, and we've talked about this on the show before, weeks ago, it looks like the Washington State Senate passed a bill ending advisory votes on the ballots. So now the citizens are not going to be able to see what taxes the legislature has increased. Happy Valentine's Day. We don't want to hear from you. Exactly. And of course, these advisory votes don't go very well for the legislature because most of them, we as voters, we recognize that the government is very wasteful. They are not spending our dollars wisely. And a lot of these taxes that they're increasing, we don't see that there's a benefit to the citizenry. There's just a benefit to the bureaucracy. So then how are they really going to hear, I'm going to say specifically from Eastern Washington, because you know, those advisory votes, those are from every county in the state. Well, every, yeah, of course. So you can break it down county by county on uh, after election day. Well, maybe weeks after election day, depending on how long it takes to count the ballots. And there is a lot of that going on in the legislature this year as well. A lot of bills having to do with elections. Hopefully in the coming weeks, we will have some people that have been bird dogging that. Those elections issue laws that the legislature has put in place. Some of them they're looking at passing are not good and some of them look like they might add some clarity and maybe some efficiency to elections. But at this point in time, if the legislature doesn't want to hear from us, and I know that it's bipartisan, there's both Republicans and Democrats that believe that the advisory votes aren't a very effective tool and that their citizens and voters fatigue on how many that they've had to look into. Because of course, when it's time to vote, you want to look into the issues. You want to look at what the government's done so that you can give a proper vote on the advisory vote. And some people are confused about whether it's just advisory or are we voting to get rid of this tax. But either way, I think that the lawmakers are just avoiding the fact that they are not restricting their spending. They're just growing government and raising taxes. See, it's, it's easy to just create a new tax. It's easy to just raise a tax. It's easy to just, especially when there's all in, in the tax laws in Washington state, there's all these different places, whether it's the BNO tax or an inventory tax or a self-employment tax, or you just go through all these, a cell phone tax, all of these different taxes that they raise on us. And it's just a little bit here. It's just a little bit there. We're just getting poorer while government keeps growing and growing and growing. You know, you see inflation, you see, you're seeing that people because of inflation and the cost of living, have less money now, but the government doesn't have less money. The government's got massive surpluses. Well, let's take it just going back and visiting the education spending. 46,000 children have been pulled out of public schools times, what was that number? 18,000, 18, almost $19,000 per student for 2022. Yeah, well, and we went from $9 billion in 2010 to uh, almost nineteen. billion 
billion dollars being spent by the state on public education. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. And and they just can't stop. They and, and of course in doing that, we're looking at places that have old schools that were built in the in the fifties and the sixties. Some of them are even older. They're really old schools that have been retrofitted. And so we're looking at schools and school districts looking at doing more school bonds, which will raise our property taxes more. Even further, I still think that we should go to a money follows the child type of system. They have it in early learning. There isn't any reason why they can't use it for the pub, for the public education system. Well, except they want to get rid of it in early learning. They're doing more and more of funding facilities directly so that the money doesn't follow the child. They so, want to change it to be more like the public school system instead of having the Working Connections subsidy program for child care and early learning. They want to move to a model that's more like the public school system where they're totally unaccountable for how much money they're spending. Well, maybe we should keep pointing out that they've already got a system in place where the money follows the child. And it's a great example. Parents have parental rights. They have the ability to choose which which place they want their child to go to, where whatever makes them feel comfortable, whatever makes them feel safe, whether it's public or private. Well, or- I think we know that the bureaucracy in Olympia, when you're talking about OSPI, Chris Reichdell, when you're looking at the public employees unions, like the teachers unions and the unions that are looking at this support staff when we looked at those giant numbers just in the last 10 years lots more spending but there's less children right there's less children maybe parents need to send a valentine's day card to chris reichdale that might be an interesting thing hey we love the fact that you've got all this money for the kids but we don't have our kids in the school so we're looking for a tax rebate yeah i i think that maybe that could be a a thing start sending the the state legislature valentine's day cards because it is that time of year where they're looking at loving our tax dollars more than they love their constituents because i haven't seen the legislature look at ways of reducing costs since the pandemic and and even before the pandemic when people looked at downturns in their personal economy whether a family member had a health issue they lost a job there was inflation that went up faster and higher than the pay at their job they found ways to tighten their belt and cut their spending so they could afford to pay their bills The state government needs to do the same thing, except for I'm not seeing anything in the legislature moving through. Now, there is some ideas, but I'm not seeing anything that's actually moving through committees that controls government spending that says, hey, look, we're spending too much in this area. We need to restrict the explosion of the cost in these projects or these programs. None of that's being done. They're not talking about looking at at reforms to systems like the unemployment system that got frauded for hundreds of millions of dollars over the pandemic. I don't see them putting fixes in for that. I don't see them putting fixes in for the welfare fraud that's going on. But I do see them raising taxes, just like House Bill 1793 introduced by Representative Gregerson. It would impose a $2 tax on every sale of a wireless connected smart device over $250. So the tax collected under this would be used under the rules defined by the Digital Equity Planning Grant Program that distributes the money to local governments, institutes for higher education, workforce development councils, and other entities. And there's little restriction on the use of the funds of this program. So it's a tax that creates another program. And this is an article from the Center Square, and they're estimating that Every household, it would cost them $40 because when devices are replaced, and and apparently the average home has about 20 devices that are smart devices. Anything that's internet connected, you think about all the devices that you have and how much money you spend on them. You got your Bluetooth 
headsets, you got your cell phones, TVs, TVs or smart, smart devices. and dryers. It might apply. What it, about smart water? I think that's a brand, actually. I, I'm not sure how it makes you smarter. I'm sure they would tax it still. <laughs> but maybe that would be. But that's the thing that state can't control its spending. So what do they do? They want to create another program like this to where they can increase taxes on smart devices. So 96% of Washington state residents, actually it's 967 Percent, so almost 97% of Washington state residents have access to wired or wireless broadband services as defined by the FCC, with nearly 50% of residents having access to fiber optic internet. All right. So the majority of residents that have limited access to broadband live in rural areas. So the digital equity grant program which is tied to a whole bunch of federal funding, they already have money in the system. In fact, the majority of taxes that would be collected under this bill, 1793, would go to residents that already have access to cheap broadband under the $65 billion Federal Communications Commission, right? So it's totally unnecessary. It's duplicating what the federal government is already doing. And we're looking at a tax that everyone's going to have to pay on top of the regular taxes. And folks, you don't get to know how much tax you're paying on your technology because it's hidden. The state has disallowed these entities to show how much they're taxing our internet service. We're not seeing every single detailed item because a lot of them, these taxes are at the, like at the manufacturer level, at the service provider level, not at the consumer level. So we only see the taxes on our bills that are direct to us. We don't see the supply chain of taxes the state government's already pulling in. So here they go. They just want to create another tax around smart devices. And that's interesting because that's going to maybe hurt other programs because I know that they just finished giving free tablets and cell phones to all the homeless people in Spokane. I'm assuming they did that across the state. That comes uh, at a cost. We paid for those taxes. So we would have had to pay an extra $40 times every single person that got a new device. The Center Square article, they're estimating it's $40 per household. So maybe it'd only be $20 that was increased cost to publicly funded programs. But again, it's just another tax. The government is loving us and our tax dollars to death this Tuesday, but I think we're about out of time, aren't we? I think we are. It's Valentine's Day. All right. Husbands, take your wives out. And spend some money on dinner. Why not? Spend some money on dinner? Are you kidding me? Have you seen the price going out to restaurants and then 18% gratuity? I don't know, husbands. You might want to love your wife out at the barbecue or go out and barbecue some hot dogs. Yes. Maybe we can still afford hot oh. dogs. It's Valentine's Day. Do something with your loved ones. That being said, we're out of here today. We'll be back at you and with you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.